Warning, the following show doesn't represent the opinion of CIBL, its employees, or the local clown college. Hey there, Canada. I'm David Fitzgerald, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. 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 I'm an from the Pokeball Studios of CIVL 101.7 FM, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and as your trainer, I choose you. Joining me as usual is the team that evolves to battle in the arena against the superstition of Team Rocket. I choose our squirrel of history, Nancy. Oh, thank you for the choice. I choose our Charizard of fallacy, Tyler. Hey, how's it going? I chose our Zubat of skepticism, Martina. Nice to be here again. And I choose our Snorlax of humanism, Jeff. Snorlax, my sleeping? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, welcome back. <laughs> Good, and we chose the audience to listen in. We can't forget about them. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> and Pokemon is evil because it promotes evolution. <laughs> <laughs> How apropos. little chit-chat. I hope you guys had a good week. Um, I, I, you know, I've... You guys are like my therapy session, so you know I'm gonna I'm gonna confess yeah. something. I'll spill it. Yeah, it's not a confession, but you know what? I'm really kind of ticked off actually. I had a uh, a previous guest. I'm not I'm not gonna name somebody that came on our show a while back, and uh, all of a sudden I was I caught up with them, and uh, I was really angry because you know all of a sudden I realized that these people have never actually listened to the show. You know, and I kind of feel that they've used this platform to simply promote their thing. And, and that's fine. That's kind of one of the reasons this show exists, right? Uh, but, and then all of a sudden when I told them that we're now on CIVL, 101.7, all of a sudden, oh, they want to come and do another show. And I'm thinking, did you even listen to any of the shows we've ever done since you guys were on? Do you, you even know what's been going on? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, look at that. We're a bit more popular now. Oh, now you want to come back on. I feel... I feel like they're trying to use us, you know. Well, of course they are. Yeah. <laughs> and if you if you can find any value in them, use them back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I you, we use this platform to help promote some worthy causes, worthy people, and we try to do you know benefit the society as a whole. But that really kind of turns me off, you know. It's like okay, you you haven't followed us, you you're not promoting us, you're not helping us in any way, shape, or form. But you're just looking at me and saying, "Hey, how can I use you again to promote my thing?" And that I don't know. This is back when you were a podcast, right? Yeah. yeah okay, I was yeah, around for that. Yeah. See, I have that in groups, like Facebook groups that I run. Me and a few different people run groups that have you know t- a few tens of thousands of people, and we always make a deal, you know. We can promote our group or our thing in their group and vice versa, and it's mutually beneficial. But it's really annoying when somebody just goes into your group, posts their stuff, and then leaves. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not opposed to promoting worthy causes or worthy people or whatever uh, is out there what I think is beneficial to the community. But if you're just going to come to me 
because all of a sudden you got a little something and you know I, I'd like to see a bit of I've scratched your back a bit can you scratch ours a bit you know can you can you talk about the show to your entourage or something like that Get mutual us, cooperation yes yes yeah symbiotic relationship so that's perfect because I'm going to do a spotlight about Robert Sapolsky today and talk about the evolution of cooperation and morality yeah but you're jumping the gun there uh, Na- Nancy go give Kevin perfect it fits yeah. go, <laughs> Nancy go give Kevin a back rub oh. <laughs> <laughs> well I don't know what can he do for now we're talking about what <laughs> well, we could. So it depends on you know what what he can do for me, right? Well, I can do your spot this day in history, but you're much better at it than <laughs> I. Am. Are you ready to go with that? I'm ready. Okay, let's set you up. All righty. It just seems like such a quick week, and we're back in history again. I know. I know. <laughs> Time flies. Here we go. And this day in history is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between May 16th to today, May 22nd. So let's go back to May 17th, which is Liberation Day um, in, uh, de- in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And in 1967, on May 17th, the Butler Act, which was the uh, Tennessee statute prohibiting the teaching of evolution, it was repealed after 42 years. But as we had Aaron, Aaron Ra on a couple of weeks ago, That's he right. said, yes, they repealed it, but they left the door open to have the choice of whether or not they would be able to teach creationism in the schools. If I'm quoting him correctly, do I remember that? Yeah, I think you yeah. got it right. Okay. Great. So it's if you don't have it right, they can listen to our show a couple of weeks ago. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. May 18th was Victoria Day and the long weekend. So I hope everybody had a had a wonderful time. Yeah. Victoria Day is always we always uh, have a wonderful time. Always Victoria Day is always fun. Uh, in 1830. On May 18th, Edward Budding of England signed an agreement for the manufacture of his invention, the lawnmower. The lawnmower. The lawnmower. Now, funny story connected with that is that I get a lot of my um, historical and hysterical events from Wikipedia and the History Place, and they're all fairly scholarly. And when they list an event, there's usually uh, a, a, a comment next to it if it has to do with the event itself. And this one just blew me away because it um, was on the uh, the history. What used to be the history orb, it's changed uh, the history um, history. Um, oh, just the history place. So, uh, in addition to the manufacture of his invention of the lawnmower, this little comment was, and Saturdays are destroyed forever. <laughs> brilliant, I just, brilliant. I know, I don't know how that one squeaked through, you know, all the scholarly layers. And but it's it, quite it, true. It's wonderful. In 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted, um, which was a terrible event, fairly close to us. And in 2006... The Texas, although we usually, uh, you know, say bad things about Texas, we're going to give them a pat on the back, uh, a, a, a rare one, but we'll give it to them. They deserve it. The Texas State Comptroller's Office granted tax-exempt status to the North Texas Church of Free Thought, which is located in the Dallas-Fort Worth-Arlington area. And they did that because the uh, Americans United for Separation of Church and State uh, had previously secured tax-exempt status for the ethical society of Austin and so there was a precedent uh, that the, um, the free thought group could consider themselves a church and act as a church even though there were no superstitions there's no God there was no uh, set religion to it but they operated in every other way like a church it was founded in 1994 
and it was uh, probably the first explicitly non-theistic and non-supernatural religious organization in the USA. And um, the spiritual part of it is not a religious spiritualism, but to serve the psychosocial needs of atheists, agnostics, and other non-religious people in Dallas. Dallas psychosocial needs of atheists? Psychosocial needs of atheists. Social needs of, That's of usually atheists. done with beer, isn't it? Uh, th- yeah, and I guess they <laughs> they meet uh, to do that as to do that as well. So uh, they, they cover all the bases. So it's in Dallas. And uh, I'm, I'm going to Dallas this summer, and I wanted to go visit, but unfortunately, their meetings and my visit aren't going to coincide. But it would have been would have been a fun fun visit. They have in their services what they call a moment of science, instead of moment of silence. And I was thinking maybe nice. we could appropriate that and have a moment of si- a moment of science. science. I think we should just t- do the whole church idea. We need one of those in Abbotsford. What, a church? No, well, like the freedom of thought thing. Yeah, the exact same thing that she was just talking about. Mm. Yeah, let's do that and have a moment of science. In, in the, in we can the drink beer and talk about cosmology. It'll be great. <laughs> I'm like there. <laughs> Some, somebody get a lottery ticket so we can fund this sucker. Yeah, I'm ready. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's see how they fund it. There you go. Look at um, Jeff. He's got plenty of money. Right, Jeff? Yeah. Okay, May 20th <laughs> is World Meteorology Day. And in 18, this whole day, May 20th, is all about transportation. Um, in 1889, the first traffic ticket in the U.S. was given in New York City to cha- uh, taxi driver Jacob German. And he was arrested for speeding while driving, are you ready for this, 12 miles an hour <laughs> on Lexington Street. What a menace. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Have Slow mercy. down. Yeah. I would say then, going from 1899-1927, Charles Lindbergh took off from Roosevelt Field in uh, Long Island with the spirit of St. Louis, attempting to win the $25,000 prize for the first non-solo, non-stop flight between New York and Paris. And 33 hours later, after a 3,600-mile 3, journey, landed at, uh, in Paris and earned the name Lucky Lindy and became an instant worldwide hero, which was kind of tarnished later on because of his political uh, views, but he certainly was a great aviator. So, 1927. Now, the same day, 1932, Amelia Earhart became the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic. She departed um, uh, from the U.S., and then uh, she landed in, um, in Paris as well. And then uh, five years after that event, along with her navigator, Fred Noonan, she disappeared while trying to fly her twin-engine plane around the equator. But uh, what a what an aviator! What aviators the two of them were, and to Absolutely. think that they they both had records on the same day, you know, different years, but the same day, I think is pretty and spectacular. I think they've pretty much solved that mystery of her disappearance too. I, yeah, I, I think at this point they've pretty much solved. I, it. I think they pretty well solved. Yeah. You know, it's not like ninety nine percent sure. Isn't there a lot yeah. of conspiracy theories about it? She was like sucked in by aliens to Atlantis by the Bermuda Triangle. Some crap. Don't watch the History Channel. So May May May, moving on from the aliens. May twenty first is World Day for Cultural Diversity for Dialogue and Development, Um, and uh, so that takes care of that day. And in oh that date, I'm sorry, I'm just my eyes are moving around before my mouth is ready. (laughs) Um, In two thousand eleven, Harold Egbert Camping predicted the world would end. 
again. Again, I know we've had the end of the world so many times at this point in America we survived. So he was an American Christian radio broadcaster, author, and evangelist. Uh, Camping predicted, and this was his prediction, that Jesus Christ would return to earth on May 21st 2011, whereupon the saved would be taken up to heaven in the rapture, and that there would follow five months of fire, brimstone, and plagues on earth, with millions of people dying each day, culminating on October 21st, 2011, with the final destruction of the world. So we all remember that, right? Oh, yeah, of course, And we were you. We all survived. I just can't believe it. Didn't he revise the date after that date came and gone? He, I he said, oh, I, I mixed up the math and he came up with another n- date. I think. Yeah, a bit, a bit yeah. later I think he did. And what's really sad about that is a lot of people had just sold everything and their possession and just gave it away so they can follow this clown. And then yeah. when, when that date comes, he'll be like, oh, I screwed up the math again. He'll push it back another 10 years. Yeah. yeah. No. Just okay. keep doing that until he's dead. Yeah, moving on to May 22nd. Oh, I need to revise the fact that Amelia Earhart landed in Ireland, not uh, not not Paris. I, somebody would correct me on that, so I want to correct myself. You're right, I probably would. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, May 22nd is World Goth Day. Now, here's something really fast. This is really interesting. One of those little trivia things that hopefully you can pull out at the right time if you're talking about American history. 1849, Abraham Lincoln... The President of the United States patented a buoying device, and his patent is an invention to lift boats over shoals and obstructions in a river. And it's the only United States patent ever registered to a President of the United States. And the documentation for that was found in 1997. No one ever knew about you know, it. You know why he did that, right? It was just in case this whole presidential thing didn't take off. Didn't right? take so off. He had right. something Is to it? fall back on. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so he could sail down the river and, and not bump into the shoals of yeah, the I, w- I want to free the black people. That might not go very well. <laughs> I need a plan. <laughs> Everybody needs everybody needs a plan B. Um, in 1933, that was the first sighting of the Loch Ness monster, and it was reported by a guy oh, named messy. John McKay. And we don't know whether he was sober or not. <laughs> during what, the are the odds? what are the odds? But yeah, what are the odds? But he did cite it. And that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nancy, for another very entertaining <laughs> this day in history. <laughs> Always, they're, they're all different and they're all fun. Yeah, always the great facts. I want to hear about the Amelia Earhart conclusion thing you were saying. Oh, they've 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 they found a uh, female skeleton on one of the islands where she possibly landed, and a piece of wreckage, which apparently the riveting matches the the, the type of plane and some of the custom modifications she did herself apparently on those planes. So they're not. Like a hundred percent sure, but they're ninety yeah, percent plus sure. The government planted that to hide the fact well, that she was taken by, by aliens. aliens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seriously, that I looked up Amelia Earhart and I was like, "Okay, I'm done. This is ret- everything that came up was absolutely retarded." Oh, jeez. Anyway, my dear Tyler, today you have a bit of a spotlight for us. Who are we talking about today? Uh, Professor Robert Sapolsky. Robert Sapolsky. Have you heard of him? No, I don't think I have. He's fantastic. He's into primatology, neuroscience. Uh, he talks a lot about tit for tat. Um, he does, well, he works at Stanford. He has some lectures on 
the Stanford YouTube channel. There, I think there's about 26 of them in a row, and they're about an hour each. Yeah, I didn't sleep for a couple of days. It was wonderful. <laughs> okay, so he he's a primatologist essentially. Wow, so he, he's somebody worthy of following. When when he came, uh, his parents were from the Soviet Union, and he grew up in uh, Brooklyn. Uh, they were like very very orthodox Jewish, and I guess by the time he was thirteen, he kind of thought religion was ridiculous and became an atheist. And we like him already. Yeah, that's one reason I wanted to mention him. Uh, and so he got really into to primatology and started teaching himself. He actually started teaching himself Swahili at 13 years old. So he went and got his uh, Bachelor of Arts in uh, Biological Anthropology from Harvard. And then he went over to Kenya and studied bonobos. And I think in total he spent about 25 years studying the behavior of bonobos over there. Really, really interesting stuff. Um, anyways, he ended up getting his Ph.D. from Rockefeller University which uh, neuroendocrinology, if I'm saying that correctly. Anyways, the, bra- the way that the brain you know, works with the rest of the body and hormones and that sort of thing. But the reason that I wanted to uh, you know, include him in today's show is because he talks about cooperation quite a bit and the origins of morals and you know, kind of where, where they came from, but also how to apply them in the future. A lot of... Uh, evolutionary game theory i'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that or not but i do have that clip that should uh explain a little bit more and after you listen to the clip i'd like to hear your guys's thoughts on it okay uh play the clip in every culture either do unto others then do or don't do unto others as you wouldn't want to have them do to you and what game theorists have formalized in ways of how do you maximize play to maximize cooperation and what you see is the most efficient strategies often are built around golden rule type interactions tit for tat you can show mathematically in terms of these games like the prisoner's dilemma what you have most efficaciously is is you begin by cooperating. If the other individual cooperates, you continue to cooperate. If they cheat against you, the next time you cheat in return, if they've gone back to cooperating, you do as well. You do a tit-for-tat strategy. And this is something, the mathematics of this is studied by game theorists and economists and war strategy people and all of that. And it's all built around we are rational enough to come up with ways of maximizing different strategies. But then it turns out we're not the only species that does tit for tat. First example, here we have this terrifying, nightmarish creature, the vampire bat, haunts our nightmares. The vampire bat, in actuality, when it's out drinking the blood of something or other, is actually a female just getting food for her babies. Because vampire bats aren't actually drinking the blood, they're storing it in a throat sack. They fly back to their nest, discord the blood to feed their babies. Now, here's the interesting thing, which is that vampire bats have communal nests. A whole bunch of different females have their infants in there, and the females come back and disgorge the blood and feed everybody's kids. Everybody is feeding everybody else's kids. It's a system of stable reciprocity. Now, make the bats think that one of them is cheating on them. One of them is holding back. Bat flies out, and you net the bat, bring it down, and what you do is you pump up the throat sac with air so that the throat sac is extended way out and gorged, and you push the bat back into the nest there, and everybody is sitting there saying, oh, my God, look at how much blood she's got there, and she's not feeding my kid. And the next time around, nobody feeds her child. 
they do a tit-for-tat strategy. Even more amazing example, in part because of the species having so few neurons, here we leave mammals behind, and talking about fish. Fish, classic research with stickleback fish. Okay, make a stickleback fish believe that its territory is being invaded. What do you do? You put a mirror up against the side of its tank, and within seconds, it's attacking its image there. Now, you make the fish believe it has a coalitional partner. Here's what you do. You take a second mirror and put it perpendicular to him, and now what's happening is every time he's lunging forward, his reflection is doing that there, and he's saying, I have no idea who that guy is, but he's great because every time he's keeping the other guy out there, and this is great. We've got this stable partnership, yay team. Now, now make the fish think his partner is cheating in their social contract. Take the mirror and angle it back a bit so the image is deflected backward. So now he's sitting and he's going at his image there and he sees the guy moving forward, but he sees the guy's not moving forward that much. And he's sitting there saying, that bastard, I can't believe it. Here we are, I'm blistering my lips here against this guy's lips. That's kind of weird the way that works, but I'm defending the trade. Oh yeah, he's just pretending to go forward, but I see he's not going all the way there. He believes his partner has cheated on him, and the next time he sees his image, he doesn't attack it. He's tit for tatting back. So we are not the only species that is capable of doing that sort of optimization. What is unique about us Okay, <laughs> that was the clip. All right, yeah. So the reason I mention that is because in Facebook groups and, and in discussions with people in general, people say, if there is no God, then where did morality come from? Well, you know, rats don't have God. Chimpanzees don't have God. Hey, 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 Elevens. how about Hanuman the monkey god? <laughs> monkey, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't have it, but they still have morals. And they're very, very similar to ours, especially sharing and cooperating because it's a survival strategy right and he he does a really good job at i think debunking that argument so what did you think well you know i think i think he's got a very good point there oh i i i think he's got a, a point that would would hold up in, in scrutiny and i think it would hold up in different kind of studies what i enjoyed most about that clip was him himself the enthusiasm it was like somebody who who's a gamer who loves to get into the game you know that passion in his voice and the way he described everything he's a great storyteller oh, you can just yeah. tell he's a he's a scholarly scholarly guy so he's got I, the crowd captivated he's got the he oh. does keep the crowd he's captivated. hilarious like i said i watched or listened to probably you know 30 lectures that he was teaching at stanford and he's absolutely hilarious and like you said he's totally enthusiastic and and right, right into it. So anything by him that you can find is absolutely fascinating. But I think it also says, you know, like the bats and stuff, they're basically like communists, you know what I mean? Like social, like everybody should cooperate. You know, the whole golden rule thing, people seem to think that the golden rule came from Jesus or came from Buddha. It didn't. It came, it, it's been around likely for millions and millions of years. I could go on and on about all the different studies I've seen with rats and reciprocity and other animals that show empathy, like elephants at funerals, you know, stuff like that. So in other words, it takes a village to raise a bat. <laughs> yeah. And with that, we'll be right back. Are you ready to make it stop? Canada has the highest rates of Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis in the world, and the diseases are on the rise in kids under 10. Join Crohn's and Colitis Canada on Sunday, June 5th for the Gutsy Walk at over 60 community walks across Canada. It's time to stop the pain, stop the surgeries, stop the missed moments. Sunday, June 5th, show you've got the guts to make it stop. Register today at gutsywalk.ca. 
If you want to do some good this year and help your fellow humans, check out the Women's Resource Society of the Fraser Valley. The Women's Resource Society is a secular, feminist, non-profit organisation providing help to women and children in Mission and Abbotsford. They have been providing safe refuge for women and children. We need shelter as well as support and information since 1984. So if you want to help bring awareness to women, youth and children who are experiencing violence or who are at risk of homelessness or in need of support, check out wrsfv.ca. Again, if you want to donate or get involved, check out wrsfv.ca. Civil Radio, keeping it live from the University of the Fraser Valley in Abbotsford to the surrounding area. If you value your sanity, keep it locked. Need to feed your fix for Civil? Get off the street and go check out our podcasts and live feeds at Civil.ca or phone us at 604-851-6307. just in my lifetime, an enormous amount more about how little we know, because we have now an increasingly large idea of the fantastic expanse of the the unknown. That's precisely the moment at which to say that skepticism is what's necessary. Inquiry, debate, doubt. Where's faith in this? Where's the usefulness of faith there? There's no use to it at all. And we're back. Yeah, that was an interesting spot there on the, that uh, Russian doctor. Is it always me? Every time we talk about a doctor, half the time he's Russian. Every time I hear about um, the behavior of animals, I get more scared of the crows, and, uh, crow, crows actually in our neighborhood. Crows are cool. I love they crows. Are. And geniuses. They're smart too, I know. Gee, they have actually figured out the difference, I watched that, um, between the regular, regular garbage bags that actually might hold some interesting food and the recycling stuff, even though... Uh, I think there is. There are pictures of food on 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 the the uh, the packages, and it's a see-through um, bag. So why don't they even try to? No, they totally ignore that particular garbage and go for the non-see-through black garbage and start poking. So it bothers you that they're not affected by advertising. <laughs> <laughs> it should, shouldn't it? <laughs> advertising does not work on crews. I guess smarter smart. than we are. That's that right. Smart. Smarter than we are at that point. All right, let's go into our usual segment. Another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. Ah, the weird and wacky world of religion. Well, today I thought I'd bring you guys an interesting story because it's actually a good news story. I know, (laughs) I know. No way. Did you guys ever hear of the Gadhimai Festival in Nepal? Say the the word one more time. I hope I'm saying this right. Gadhimai Festival in Nepal. This is a this is a festival that occurs every year, uh, every five years, where they essentially slaughter herds of water buffaloes and chickens, and it's like it's a massacre for the gods, right? Yeah. 
yeah, the, the temple grounds are usually awash with the blood of animals slaughtered in the name of tradition. It's been going on for the last 300 years. But they just stopped it. Just like that? They just stopped it. Oh, why? I guess that's the question. How, why? That is a good question. Um, the uh, Gatimai Temple uh, Trust hereby declares our formal decision to end animal sacrifice. With your help, we can ensure Gatimai 2019 is free from bloodshed. Moreover, we can ensure Gatimai 2019 is a momentous celebration of life. What a flip. So usually they used to sacrifice hundreds of thousands of water buffaloes, goats, and chickens, and other animals. Well, no, sorry. Hundreds of thousands of water buffalo, ch goats, chickens, and other animals will now be saved from the brutal death because they usually slaughter them by the hundreds every five years for that. Hmm. That's uh, that... Uh, sacrament or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. it it's no small feat either you know you got to take off the hats all the efforts of the uh, humane societies animal welfares uh, Nepalese authorities and all that uh, that led to this festival um, it, it's, it's a very interesting decision and now there's another Nepalese tradition uh, where the uh, the entire uh, calendar day is called Kurkur Tihar which is a day dedicated entirely to thanking dogs for their friendship and loyalty Oh, that's a good day. That's almost like an entire shift in, in society all of a sudden that happened in, in Nepalese society. So I thought, you know, uh, it's great news. Now, is the new president like a vegan or something? I don't know. Okay, so do they just let the meat go bad with these water buffaloes? Because you could just have one insanely huge barbecue. That sounds great. Uh, you know, I, I don't know enough about the festival to say that. But I'm uh, the question I'm asking here is, first of all, this traditional, this tradition in this religion... They've just lost this, right? And I'm sure there was a lot of people that are trying to still keep it alive. But do you think they lost this over the kindness to the animals? Is it because of intellectual reasons? Or is it economic? Hmm. Wow. Well, not, not knowing that much about the culture or you know how, what the discussions were, it's hard, hard, to, it's, tell. It's maybe, hard to tell. Maybe it was a combination of all three. Well, we, we know Nepal is not a very rich country. And when you're slaughtering hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of animals for for a, a religious holiday, uh, that's got to be hidden in a pocketbook somewhere. Well, I think wa wasting. I'm practically a carnivore, so wasting meat is sacrilegious in my books. <laughs> that's if I'm guessing they're letting it go bad because if it's supposed to be a sacrifice to gods, they're not going to eat it. Um, that's a good question. Which would make more sense. Well, just we, feed all we, the people. Do we know for sure that uh, after the the rituals that the meat was spoiled? No, we don't. We don't. Them? I don't know, and it didn't say that in the uh, in this article either. Uh, we'd have to do some more research. That is typically how sacri sacrifices to gods are done, though, because then it's not a sacrifice to God. Then that means I could get a steak and be like, I just had a sacrifice to God. Mm, yummy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that was my good news uh, part, part of the. the oh, you have a bad news. Oh, part I do. Too? I do. Oh. This is from the Associated Press. Donald Trump. Oh, oh yeah, there's bad news right there. That's it. You don't have to go any further. Thank you. We're moving on. <laughs> he might find it tough to get Republican leaders behind his campaign, but he's got some faraway fans trying to get the gods on his side. Apparently, around a dozen members of a right-wing Indian Hindu group lit a ritual fire and chanted mantras asking the Hindu gods to help Trump win the U.S. presidential election. I, cool. I saw that story that's, on CNN. That's cool as long as they don't send money. <laughs> 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 Not that he needs it. 
while Trump uh, has nominated, uh, dominated the uh, Republican uh, primary race to, uh, to decide the party's candidate for the November election, his calls for temporarily banning Muslims from America and cracking down on an extremist group abroad have earned him some fans in India. The whole world is screaming against Islamic terrorism, uh, and even India is not safe from it, said Vishnu Gupta, founder of the Hindu Sana Nationalist Group. Only Donald Trump can save humanity. Well, Any that's thoughts? great. I think we ought to have Donald, the Donald, go to India and oh, run for God. office there. I thought you were going to say for a second they, you want him as a guest on the show. No, so I'm not doing that. He's already got a group of supporters. All he has to do is get in the Trump mobile or the Trump plane or whatever it is, and off he goes. A tr- wonderful solution. The Trump mobile, whatever. It <laughs> that's is. Awesome. The, the Trump plane. I don't the, know what the, it is. I can picture a big wig on wheels there. There you go. <laughs> Strap him to the wings. Send him to India and and. Uh, Drop him in the middle of the bonfire that's supporting him, and it is the world is now a better place. <laughs> Did you hear the latest? I'm Trump sorry, story? India. <laughs> Did you hear the latest Trump story? Oh, jeez, no. Uh, uh, it just came out uh, in the '80s when he was uh, divorcing Marla Maples. Um, he wanted to talk to the media, and so he impersonated a guy named Jim Miller or something, and basically he pretended he was his own publicist, and he took took telephone interviews and was talking about how great a guy. Uh, Donald Trump was and how he was going to treat everybody great and he had lots of women calling him and all this sort of stuff and it was clearly his voice and now he's out denying it because it yeah, sounds kind of crazy. <laughs> he, he's denying it. He interviewed himself? Yeah, no, he, he, he acted as his own publicist so oh, when, okay. when the news reporters called, he uh, impersonating Jim Miller or something uh, took the calls and uh, as Donald Trump's publicist, but it was him. Really That's him. hilarious. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. they, I wonder if they can get like FBI analysts they did. to match they, the no, voice? They, they yeah. did. Oh, they, they did? did? Okay. They, they got an FBI analyst, and he said, yeah, in my professional opinion, 20 years on the job, blah, 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 this is Donald Trump. And isn't that the way Marla found out that she was no longer going to be Mrs. Trump? That it, I don't it know. It was in the paper, or she she heard it on the, because she, dev- yeah. she was devastated. Whether I know, I think he put the newspaper on the doorstep, and that's how she found out. Yeah, I don't, I don't Lovely know guy. Yeah. Okay, get him ready for the big trip. India, here he comes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start a, a Kickstarter for that. <laughs> get some fundraising to get uh, Donald Trump there. And we'll be right back right after this. A Canadian, a New Yorker, and a Southern Belle walked into a podcast. And all hell broke loose. Seriously, though, what happens when we three ladies get together? Well, definitely a lot of talking. And accents. Funny accents. Well, I don't have an accent, but my co-hosts sure do. We mix North, South, and the Great White North together for two hours of pure secular discussion. Nothing is off-limits. From goofy religions like Scientology, woo like ghost hunting and alternative medicine, to hardcore history, hermeneutics, sex, and science, we cover it all. What the heck is a hermeneutic? Well, it's not a guy named Herman who sings falsetto, that's for sure. Join Beth, Ashley, and myself, Deborah, every Monday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and we take you beyond the trailer park and bring the conversation to life. Join us live on YouTube and participate in the conversation via the Q&A system, or catch us later on Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, and Nobex. 
Visit www.beyondthetrailerpark.com for links to the show and our upcoming schedule. Bring your wine and sweet tea and settle in for fun facts and free thinking. We happily wear the explicit tag, though, so make sure to wash out your mouth with something tasty before listening. That's live at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. Come give us a like and a share, no matter what type of accent you have. You're listening to Left at the Valley on CIVL 101.7 FM. And we're back. So today we're doing a show after popular demand, I guess. We did a show like several weeks ago about uh, we we touch on homelessness and the whole uh, Abby Diggs project and all that. And Nancy and Jeff, you guys are taking lead on that, so I'm going to give the mic to you guys. Go right ahead. Alrighty, we had the show on homelessness and we touched on some of the reasons for homelessness and went through some statistics. And uh, But today we're really going to get more personal and more local. And we have a great friend of the show, Jeff Grubin, uh, who's a powerhouse guest and we're really happy happy to have him. He also masquerades as Snorlax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sleeping right now. There we go. I don't, uh, talking about, about Jeff isn't easy because he's got so, so many dimensions to him. But if you ask Jeff, and I'm not going to do it, I'm I'm just I'm going to take the lead here and, and pretend for a minute that he's not that he's not all here. <laughs> but if if you ask Jeff um, who he is, he'd say, "Oh, I'm just a guy." But he's so much more than a guy because he's the president of the Abbotsford Dignitarian Society, which is a nonprofit that was formed to build the first homeless village called Abbey Diggs, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, Jeff's a, a, a businessman, a, um, a family man, a good friend, a conversationalist, extraordinaire, and uh, he loves to talk about anything and, and everything. And in 2014, well, he was a member of the uh, Fraser Valley. Uh, atheist, skeptics, and humanist group, um, he foolishly accepted an invitation to help uh, put on a dinner for the homeless. And little did he know that after that dinner, his life was going to take this uh, sharp left turn and that he would be thrown in the middle of the, uh, the homeless population and the debate of homelessness and and how to how to help and so now here we are uh, in 2016 and uh, Jeff is going to catch us up on uh, what happened to his life and what happened to the homeless since then and in the uh, uh, I guess for for full disclosure I need to tell everybody that uh, I'm proud and happy to serve on the board of the Abbotsford Dignitarian Society with Jeff. Wait and a so, minute. Yeah, Are you using this show I'm as shamelessly, a I'm shamelessly <laughs> losing. Now I have to think of what I can do to, to contribute to the show. You better be I, pushing this show outside. I better, I better be pushing. <laughs> Man, am I, ever, I, am I ever a pusher? So with that, um, with that uh, introduction and, and background, Jeff, why don't you take it from there and give us a little history, a little background, and uh, bring us up to uh, where Abby Diggs is and what the heck Abby Diggs is anyway. Well, I am absolutely sure I cannot live up to that introduction, so I'm not sure I should continue speaking at this point, but uh, <laughs> thank you very much for that, uh, Nancy. <laughs> you are definitely a good friend, that's, that's, that's for sure. Um, so, 
Yeah, about two years ago, I guess, uh, Nancy and I got involved uh, with a group, um, Abbotsford Dictatorian Society. It's a secular, non-profit society that was formed in Abbotsford with some local folks uh, with, the, um, with the goal of building a village for um, the homeless folks in Abbotsford. We wanted it to be a local solution. Um, and we um, got together a group of people that were similarly motivated, and we um, we put together a pretty good plan. We secured a piece of property, we uh, created a constitution with some goals, and we have a, a, a quite a detailed plan with with a funding plan, construction plan. Um, we've got an application before the city, and we are attempting to uh, to get uh, permission. Um, it's, it's a it's called a temporary use permit is what we need. Uh, it's, it's sort of a, an alternative to rezoning, but it allows us to officially operate the village on that uh, property that we have. Um, and we're uh, very optimistic. We've had um, a lot of meetings to date with a lot of the local um, stakeholders, people like the Salvation Army, Abbotsford Community Services, MCC, um, Habitat for Humanity, uh, the list goes on, BC Housing, Fraser Health, are groups we're trying to work, uh, work with as well. Um, and we, um, we, we feel very confident that this time um, uh, we'll be in a position to, to get that approval that we need. Um, we're probably a month or two away from that process happening, and um, we're, you know, we're optimistic that we can have it built this, uh, before this winter. Let's hope. Um, and let's talk a little bit, Jeff, about the, the population, about uh, who's homeless in, in Abbotsford and um, some of the things that have happened to them. If you want to start that, I'll, I'll fill in as we go. But I, I, I don't think a lot of the people really realize what has happened to the homeless over the past couple of years and why um, affordable housing and housing first yeah. has become... Lightness. Uh, yeah. What has happened to the homeless over the years? Yeah. Well, I, I, I can't give a complete picture, but certainly in the last few years, the, uh, the homeless population over the last couple of years was estimated between 150 and 200 based on the last couple counts, I think conducted by Fraser Health. Um, there's been, you know, obviously this community is, is made up of, of people that um, have, have some challenges, whether it's mental uh, issues, whether it's substance issues, um, some could be merely financial issues, uh, and people find themselves in this situation. I think one of the biggest problems is, is that the, there's, a, there's a real disconnect between the cost of housing and the availability of housing and the, the finances. This sort of plays into our, our, the previous week's programming. Um, right now, if you're on social services, if you are somebody that, that, that um, finds himself um, as that being your, your primary means of income, uh, you get $375 a month for housing, and that, that money comes from BC Housing and is directly for housing. If anybody has looked at uh, the prices of rental uh, suites in this town, there is nothing you can get for $375. You might be able to get a parking spot somewhere, but you certainly can't get a, a suite or an apartment or a condo or a basement suite or anything like that. Um, my guess would be the cheapest thing you could find if you're lucky is a, is a shared room, like a bedroom, for 500 bucks, And that would be in someone's home where you're sharing the kitchen and sharing the living room and things like that. So that even that in itself would probably be something that's not available to this community. So there's a huge disconnect between the amount of money that they get and what's available. And that's why we've come up with a plan where we can actually provide um, a housing alternative um, for for that money that's uh, that's given by social services. Yeah, I think one of the things that's happened is that BC Housing used to provide uh, affordable housing, but several years ago they made the uh, decision not to build affordable housing, but instead to go 
to subsidies and services. So um, the, the, the ability to um, go to the federal and provincial government for money for affordable housing has, has just dried up. And even, even though there um, are people that advocate uh, for this, and um, one of the attorneys that has been helpful to the homeless, D.J. Larkin, um, went to Geneva to talk to the United Nations, and the United Nations uh, said, Canada, you're a rich country, um, you should be doing more, and they actually gave Canada a slap on the wrist for not being able to get behind uh, affordable housing for, for those that need it. So there's a crisis in Canada, and there's a crisis here in Abbotsford and trying to find um, housing that is affordable and that can be put up um, in, a, in a short amount of time. Because how long does it take to build? Let's say if they, if they started today and got approval, how long would it take for, for um, the, the builders to put together um, a consortium um, to get the funding in order to build, uh, say, a, uh, um, a housing block that would, that would serve, say, 30 or 40 people? Well, we have an example of that on Gladys Avenue. When, when was that project approved, and uh, when is it slated? I believe it's probably two years before they can break ground. Yeah, and, and like that's that. support, yeah, that supported housing right. for, for 20 men. So mm-hmm. that's an example. And, you know, there's a lot of people looking at a lot of different solutions, and I don't necessarily believe that ours is the one be-all, end-all solution. Um, there's fights going on, like what you mentioned with DJ, that are happening at the federal level, at the, on the world stage level. There's constitutional legal challenges being made. And these are all great things that have to happen, but these things take time. So we're sitting here looking in Abbotsford and seeing people dying in, in the forest, uh, you know, monthly type of thing. So, you know, our thought is how can we help them right now? And um, our plan uh, fits within the budget of a 375 allowance. It's in an area that has very few um, adjacent interests affected. And, uh, you know, we can turn this thing up in, in a matter of a month. So very fast we can we can put this thing together and do it within the existing funding. We're not looking for any additional money from the city or the taxpayer. It's within the additional programs. Okay, so if it's, if it's so fast and it's almost a turnkey operation, what's exactly stopping you guys here? The biggest thing is we, we the piece of property that we have, and again, we are focused on this one location because it does uh, meet a lot of uh, traditional, or it does, uh, it's not affected by a lot of the traditional NIMBY objections. NIMBY is not in my backyard. If you have uh, um, a development, Development that's in a subdivision where there's a lot of other traditional homes. Those those neighborhood neighbors might not want that facility in their neighborhood. They'll think it is going to negatively impact property values in certain commercial areas. People might not want it because it'll negatively affect their business. Things like that. We don't have that with this one piece of property, so we're focused on it. Um, but we still do need the city's approval. So that's that's our real only weight. And the city, um, you know, uh, in defense of them, this is a. Uh, a type of housing solution that's not been done anywhere in Canada. So it is a new concept. Uh, and for that reason, I think they're, you know, being very, very measured about their approach. They're, uh, they have been working with us uh, very closely. We had a somewhat of an unprecedented meeting with them about a month ago where uh, Nancy and I spoke to the entire council and mayor, uh, presented our project in detail, and uh, we were very appreciative that they took the time to, to listen to us. Um, I think we made a pretty good case and, uh, Hopefully, within the next, uh, you know, like I said, four to eight weeks, um, due process will happen. There'll be public hearings, and maybe we'll be successful and get our permit. I think the fact that it's new in Canada is... um it looms large in the minds of uh, of council because they want to be absolutely sure that if we 
put the, the project up, that it's not going to end up in chaos and confusion and cost the uh, cost council money or cause a disruption in, in the city of Abbotsford itself. So it, because the city of Abbotsford is now going through a, another official city plan, and so everything has to fit within that within that plan. So we, we can certainly understand that they're, they're being cautious, but the um, the plan itself, and, and we'll go into this in just a minute. Hold on, you're, you're trying to fit the homeless into Abbotsford City Planning? Plan? Well, th- we're trying to fit the village and the vision of a home for everybody, which is the housing first. We're trying to fit that. I, I sense something is coming here, and I've been set up. <laughs> I better stop talking before I just you realize really it was a joke. Sink. Huh? I'm going to sink myself here. I know it. Okay, go for it, Kevin. No, it's already done. <laughs> hey, wait, wait. You said new in Canada. Has it been done anywhere else? Yeah. Um, actually, there are about 13 existing uh, tiny home villages throughout the United States that are successful, and another 22 that are being proposed. And there is a consortium um, of uh, um, nonprofits and, and others who are building uh, the, uh, the the tiny home villages called the the Village Collaborative. And so there's a lot of communication um, so that the each, each house that's built is taking advantage of. Uh, the trial and errors that have been done before. So our position is is a wonderful one in that we are actually able to look at the 13 existing ones and the proposals and tailor them so that we know that the um, the, the, the policies and, and procedures and construction are all going to be um, fair. I, I, you can't say 100% successful, but, but Jeff, why don't you go in a little bit more to the actual construction of the houses and, and how the village is going to going to look based on our successful models they're not really houses though right they're cabins and like people live in small eight by 12 rooms or something like that that's what jeff was saying i think yeah so just to just to uh, add one point to what nancy mentioned about the existing villages in the u.s these are not new i mean the the first village that we've heard about uh uh, was in portland in in 2000 so that uh that that village has been going on for 16 years and it uh survived an evaluation from the portland housing authority which looked at it and renewed their lease in 2010 so there there's a lot of successful uh villages out there that we're drawing on so um the the villages range in scope from from tiny cabins to to small homes uh and depending on you know depending on their their funding and their donations and their plan you know they might look differently our plan is going to be on a two acre piece of property on valley road uh, we are proposing 40 cabins. The cabins are 8 by 12, so just around 100 square feet, essentially about the size of a bedroom. Uh, they are going to have an electrical service for uh, an in-wall uh, baseboard electric heater, uh, and there'll be, they'll be standard building construction, standard insulation, standard roofing, doors, windows, things like that, um, but there will not be any uh, water service or, or, or bathroom services into the buildings. Those are going to be in shared buildings. Um, that uh, will be obviously available to all the residents. There'll be uh, full washrooms, showers, laundry, uh, those types of services. There will be a, a mess hall. Um, not that we are going to be initially providing any cooked food, but we are going to make um, kitchen facilities available to folks. So there'll be freezers and fridges and things like that. We have a lot of uh, already um, work underway where there's going to be food donated, things like that. Um, Salvation Army has talked to us about helping us with food. So um, that whole process could evolve as well and, and, and become quite a, a big part of what we do. But initially, it's going to be 40 cabins on two acres. 
So 40 people then, right? 40 people, right. And one of the things that is successful with um, housing first projects like this is that we're also able to provide services for people who need them. People who have mental illness, people who have addiction issues are already, uh, I would say, 98% because we only have about 151, 200. 200 people in Abbotsford, which is a workable number, and most of them are already hooked up with the service providers um, that are needed for their particular problems and limitations, and they will be able to come out to the village and provide those services. When you have people living rough and they're scattered all over the city, it's very difficult for the service providers to give them um, what they what they need psychologically, medically, have the case managers on a regular basis. So we will have those service providers uh, come out to the village. The other outstanding feature that we've taken from the states that works well here is that um, the villages are self-managed. That doesn't mean that they have 100% total control, but they're able to form a community and have the cooperation. It's, it's something similar to what you were talking about earlier, Tyler, is the, the morals and and the cooperation. I, I think there's a DNA in humans that want community. We want to be able to help each other. And that's what the, what the village is, is all well, about. It's the golden rule. What, it's would the you, golden what would you want your society to do for you if you were a homeless person? It, it, exactly. And um, it, it, it's found that when you take people off the street and you give them a community and you give them a purpose that they do and you give them the ability to have a, a council and have a, a, a peer relationships with, with other people, that the, the running of the village goes very smoothly. On top of that, we put the oversight uh, by our uh, Abbotsford Dignitarian Society and then cooperation with the police and the fire and, and the city to make sure that it's well run. And on a pilot program, uh, we feel that that combination is going to be successful. Do you have anything? I, maybe yeah. I forgot. A, a, yeah, just the one, thing, the one thing I would, I would add, just to sort of be, be specific about our, our uh, management plan. Uh, like Nancy said, there is going to be a village council made up of elected members, elected residents. They're going to have various positions and responsibilities. On top of that, the one thing you didn't mention is there's going to be a salaried caretaker on site, so they will be a salaried employee of the uh, society. Uh, and they'll do some various uh, administrative duties. They will help uh, liaise with the service providers and our residents. So there'll be a, a function that, that they provide beyond uh, just a sort of a security function. And then there'll be, over top of that, the uh, the um, the board of directors of the Dignitarian Society, which is is going to be a sort of an upper level uh, oversight. So we have sort of three levels of, of oversight, depending on what needs to be taken care of as far as management or maybe uh, certain types of problems, maybe evictions, things like that might hit various levels. So um, there's going to be a lot of a lot of uh, support for the success of the village, a lot of support for the residents. And, um, you know, and, and these are basically building on existing models and uh, looking at uh, uh, what's worked in the past. Are there statistical benefits like with the programs that are in the States like does it decrease the amount of crime or does it cr- decrease the amount of like what people are spending on health care? Because I find a lot of people don't really care about the homeless situation because they're not homeless and, and they like to blame them. But once you point out that doing these good things for homeless people is actually cheaper for their province or state or whatever, then they kind of shift their minds. So the uh, study that I would look 
for I know you like studies, Tyler. Um, yes, I, I like data. <laughs> the uh, Mental Health Canada did a four-year study in five cities across the country where they merely subsidized housing. So they took people off the street, put them in apartments. Uh, these were done in high-rent areas too, like Vancouver. And what they found in Vancouver specifically, and, and this was um, borne out throughout the rest of the study as well, is that for every $10 invested in subsidized rent, in that community, they saved $9.60 on emergency health care and policing. So what that means is it costs the same amount to leave them on the street as it does to put them in an apartment. And that's when you're looking at a Vancouver rental market. So if you were talking about Abbotsford, where the rental market's not quite like that, um, I would suggest to you that we would save money. When you were talking about Abby Diggs' uh, financial model, um, you're going to save even more money. And when you're talking about the fact that Abbotsford has its own police force, you're going to directly reduce the cost. Our, our math shows us that we're going to actually save Abbots for money um, by implementing this village. We're yeah, not you're spending money but saving. I, I suspected that the statistical benefits would be the same, that you would save money on crime and health care. So I just wanted that to be said because, like I said, a lot of people don't care until they realize that you're actually saving money by helping people. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, this is actually kind of kind – of Intuitive, actually, when you think about it, um, the the figures, the, the studies that came out of the of that uh, Mental Health Canada study was called At Home. If anybody's interested in looking it up on the internet, all the information is available. Um, they found that people that were not housed use uh, policing and emergency health care thirty three percent more than people that are housed. That makes sense. If you're out in the elements, you're going to get sick more often. You're going to have to use emergency health care. If you're out in the elements. In places where you are not allowed to be, so you're living in the park, you're living in the little forest, you're living on the side of the road, the police get called to, to look at what you're doing. The police roll their cars, even if it's not a serious crime. If it's just like somebody phoning and complaining, saying, hey, there's a guy sleeping in the bush next to my house, the police have to respond to that. We have to pay for that call. Well, I find most people are blown away when you say, you know, we're going to come up with this program. And then they say, whoa, what is this going to cost? Like, it's going to be an extra cost. And then you point out... Actually, it's going to save us a bunch of money and we can help people. And they're like, what? How does that work? And then you explain what you just explained. And then they're like, oh, yeah, that does make logical sense. Well, there's another there's another interesting um, article. There's another interesting part of that in that in the Abbotsford News uh, this last week, there was an article saying that the city's payments to legal firms increased 50 percent last year. And that was directly related to dealing with homelessness, moving people from one place the other putting them in jail, uh, making sure that the bylaws are are, um, uh, are are upheld where people can't can't uh, tent, they can't put up their structures, uh, calls from neighbors that people are uh, sleeping on their lawn, but m- mostly the the city um, lawsuit in in trying to deal with the um, the, the homeless people, um, combating the the rule that they they should be allowed. Boy, did I ever get tangled up. The the homeless people sued the city, saying that they have a right to sleep in the parks, and the Supreme Court agreed with them. So last year, the legal costs rose dramatically to eight hundred eighty three dollars forty and three hundred eight hundred thousand eight hundred eighty eight thousand four hundred eighty eight dollars, a fifty percent increase, both over the six year average and the the uh, two thousand fourteen number. So uh, the additional three hundred thousand dollars spent on lawsuit lawsuits could certainly go to help the the homeless and and uh, Abbotsford as a whole rather than than being uh, put into to legal cost fighting homelessness. And you said there's 200 
roughly homeless people in Abbotsford, uh, and this will do approximately two hundred. So you guys start with like forty, and will it get bigger? Not in this particular village. Uh, it, it can be or tra- more villages, I guess. Well, if we could, if if this pilot program goes well, there's no reason why, if land is available, that other villages like this couldn't uh, couldn't be couldn't be built. They're shown to be be very very successful. But land and trying to find land to do it, I think, would would be a challenge. But forty is is we found out through research that between four, around forty people, about the maximum uh, for a village for it to, to run smoothly and everybody to be able to participate and have have something to do. And I guess this is why we also always have to wonder and look at the data because right now what's stopping you guys essentially is ideology. It's not the numbers, it's not the, da- the data because the data is there. It's essentially ruling by ideology, right? Well, you know, I, I that could certainly be the case. Uh, I can't get get into the si- inside the heads of the of the council members at this stage. There might be some people that are philosophically opposed to what we're doing. Um, that could be the case, but there also could be people that are genuinely concerned about not making things worse. So, um, you know, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. They've been very helpful uh, with us in, uh, over the last couple meetings, and um, they are looking at our application. So, uh, we're uh, you know we're basically um, optimistic that they're. Um, uh, you know, being diligent and um, sincere about evaluating our application, and uh, we're looking forward to some positives. Yeah, they absolutely know that something has to be done, and and uh, cities like Victoria um, and uh, Toronto, all across the, uh, Canada, this is this is being played out, and and the the objections that they have in Abbotsford are exactly the same that they have in in in, in Victoria and in Toronto and in Moncton, and it's going to take a national strategy eventually to be able to pull everything together but we're we're optimistic that the time has come for city uh, council to go ahead and say let's give it a chance as a pilot program and uh, go from there I sure hope so I mean it sounds like it's a very worthy project it's working other places it's cheaper and it helps people yeah sounds good to me thank you so much Nancy and thank you Jeff for enlightening us again on this project where can they find you if they want to learn more AbbotsfordHomeless.com is our website. We have a bunch of Facebook pages. Um, and Abbotsford Dignitarian Society on Facebook. Abbotsford Dignitarian Society. But, that, but is it not? Uh, AbbotsfordHomeless.com is our website. That's, That's the website, yeah. Okay, excellent. Well, you can follow our website as well, which is leftatthevalley.com. You can find us on uh, Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, you can send us an email. And you can always follow us here at CIBL.ca as well. Guys, I'm off to Imagine No Religion 6. I'll be back with some interviews with the amazing Randy, Michael Shermer, Brian Dalton, and maybe AC Grayling. And thank you so much for listening out there. Until next time. Jesus is, or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them. I think the reason is apparent. You do what you're told and believe in the God assigned by your parents. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist.
let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful.